Book One, Chapter Twelve of In Search of the Castaways. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. In Search of the Castaways, or The Children of Captain Grant by Jules Verne. Book One, Chapter Twelve. Eleven Thousand Feet Aloft. Nothing of importance had occurred hitherto in the passage through Chile, but all the obstacles and difficulties incident to a mountain journey were about to crowd on the travellers now. One important question had first to be settled. Which pass would take them over the Andes, and yet not be out of their fixed route? On questioning the catapes on the subject, he replied, There are only two practicable passes I know of in this part of the Cordilleras. The pass of Arici is one undoubtedly discovered by Valdivia Mendoza, said Paganel. Just so, and that of Villarica is the other. Precisely. Well, my good fellow, both these passes have only one fault. They take us too far out of our route, either north or south. Have you no other to propose? asked the Major. Certainly, replied Paganel. There is the pass of Antuco, on the slope of the volcano, in latitude thirty-seven degrees thirty minutes, or, in other words, only half a degree out of our way. That would do, but are you acquainted with this pass of Antuco, Catapez? said Glenarvan. Yes, your lordship, I have been through it, but I did not mention it, as no one goes that way but the Indian shepherds with the herds of cattle. Oh, very well, if mares and sheep and oxen can go that way, we can, so let's start at once. The signal for departure was given immediately, and they struck into the heart of the valley of Las Lejas, between great masses of chalk crystal. From this point the pass began to be difficult, and even dangerous. The angles of the declivities widened and the ledges narrowed, and frightful precipices met their gaze. The mules went cautiously along, keeping their heads near the ground, as if scenting the track. They marched in file. Sometimes, at a sudden bend of the road, the madrina would disappear, and the little caravan had to guide themselves by the distant tinkle of her bell. Often some capricious winding would bring the column in two parallel lines, and the catapes would speak to his peons across a crevasse of not two fathoms wide, though two hundred deep, which made them an inseparable gulf. Glenarvan followed his guide step by step. He saw that his perplexity was increasing as the way became more difficult, but did not dare to interrogate him, rightly enough, perhaps, thinking that both mules and muleteers were very much governed by instinct, and it was best to trust to them. About an hour longer the catapes kept wandering about almost at haphazard, though always getting higher up the mountains. At last he was obliged to stop short. They were in a narrow valley, one of those gorges called by the Indians quebrads, and on reaching the end a wall of porphyry rose perpendicularly before them, and barred further passage. The catapes, after vain attempts at finding an opening, dismounted, crossed his arms, and waited. Glenarvan went up to him and asked if he had lost his way. "'No, your lordship,' was the reply. "'But you are not in the pass of Antuco.' "'We are. You are sure you are not mistaken?' "'I am not mistaken. See, there are the remains of a fire left by the Indians, and there are the marks of the mares and the sheep.' "'They must have gone on, then.' "'Yes, but no more will go. The last earthquake has made the route impassable.' "'To mules,' said the Major, "'but not to men.' "'Ah, that's your concern. I have done all I could.' My mules and myself are at your service to try the other passes of the Cordillas. And would that delay us? Three days, at least. Lord Glenarvan listened silently. He saw the catapes was right. His mules could go no farther. When he talked of returning, however, Glenarvan appealed to his companions, and said, 
"'Will you go on, in spite of all the difficulty?' "'We will follow your lordship,' replied Tom Austin. "'And even precede you,' added Paganel. "'What is it, after all? We have only to cross the top of the mountain-chain, and once over, nothing can be easier of descent than the slopes we shall find there. When we get below, we shall find Baquanos, Argentine shepherds, who will guide us through the pampas, and swift horses accustomed to gallop over the plains. Let's go forward, then, I say, and without a moment's hesitation.' "'Forward!' they all exclaimed. "'You will not go with us, then?' said Glenarvan to the catapes. "'I'm the muleteer,' was the reply. "'As you please,' said Glenarvan. "'We can do without him,' said Paganel. "'On the other side we shall get back to the road to Antuco, "'and I'm quite sure I'll lead you to the foot of the mountain "'as straight as the best guide in the Corderias.' Accordingly Glenarvan settled accounts with the catapes "'and bid farewell to him and his peons and mules.' The arms and instruments, and a small stock of provisions, were divided among the seven travellers, and it was unanimously agreed that the ascent should recommence at once, and, if necessary, should continue part of the night. There was a very steep, winding path on the left, which the mules never would have attempted. It was toilsome work, but after two hours' exertion, and a great deal of roundabout climbing, the little party found themselves once more in the pass of Antuco. They were not far now from the highest peak of the Cordillas, but there was not the slightest trace of any beaten path. The entire region had been overturned by recent shocks of earthquake, and all they could do was to keep on climbing higher and higher. Paganel was rather disconcerted at finding no way out to the other side of the chain, and laid his account with having to undergo great fatigue before the topmost peaks of the Andes could be reached, for their mean height is between eleven and twelve thousand six hundred feet. Fortunately the weather was calm and the sky clear, in addition to the season being favourable, but in winter, from May to October, such an ascent would have been impracticable. The intense cold quickly kills travellers, and those who even manage to hold out against it fall victims to the violence of the temporales, a sort of hurricane peculiar to those regions, which yearly fills the abysses of the Cordillas with dead bodies. They went on toiling steadily upward all night hoisting themselves up almost inaccessible plateaus, and leaping over broad, deep crevasses. They had no ropes, but arms linked in arms supplied the lack, and shoulders served for ladders. The strength now of Mulruddy and the dexterity of Wilson were taxed heavily. These two brave Scots multiplied themselves, so to speak, many a time, but for their devotion and courage the small band could not have gone on. Glenarvan never lost sight of young Robert, for his age and vivacity made him imprudent. Paganel was a true Frenchman in his impetuous ardor, and hurried furiously along. The Major, on the contrary, only went as quick as was necessary, neither more nor less, climbing without the least apparent exertion. Perhaps he hardly knew, indeed, that he was climbing at all, or perhaps he fancied he was descending. The whole aspect of the region had now completely changed. Huge blocks of glittering ice, of a bluish tint on some of the declivities, stood up on all sides, reflecting the early light of morn. The ascent became very perilous. They were obliged to reconnoitre carefully before making a single step, on account of the crevasses. Wilson took the lead, and tried the ground with his feet. His companions followed exactly in his footprints, lowering their voices to a whisper, as the least sound would disturb the currents of air, and might cause the fall of the masses of snow suspended in the air seven or eight hundred feet above their heads. They had come now to the region of shrubs and bushes, which, higher still, gave place to grasses and cacti. At eleven thousand feet all trace of vegetation had disappeared. 
they had only stopped once, to rest and snatch a hurried meal, to recruit their strength. With superhuman courage, the ascent was then resumed amid increasing dangers and difficulties. They were forced to bestride sharp peaks and leap over chasms so deep that they did not dare to look down them. In many places wooden crosses marked the scene of some great catastrophes. About two o'clock they came to an immense barren plain, without a sign of vegetation. The air was dry, and the sky unclouded blue. At this elevation rain is unknown, and vapors only condense into snow or hail. Here and there peaks of porphyry or basalt pierce through the white winding sheet like the bones of a skeleton, and at intervals fragments of quartz or gneiss, loosened by the action of the air, fell down with a faint dull sound, which in a denser atmosphere would have been almost imperceptible. However, in spite of their courage, the strength of the little band was giving way. Glenarvan regretted they had gone so far into the interior of the mountain when he saw how exhausted his men had become. Young Robert held out manfully, but he could not go much further. At three o'clock Glenarvan stopped and said, We must rest. He knew if he did not himself propose it, no one else would. Rest, rejoined Paganel, we have no place of shelter. It is absolutely necessary, however, if it were only for Robert. No, no, said the courageous lad, I can still walk, don't stop. You shall be carried, my boy, but we must get to the other side of the Corderias, cost what it may. There we may find, perhaps, some hut to cover us. All I ask is a two hours longer march. Are you all of the same opinion? said Glenarvan. Yes, was the unanimous reply, and Mulrady answered, I'll carry the boy. The march eastward was forthwith resumed. They had a frightful height to climb, yet to gain the topmost peaks. The rarefaction of the atmosphere produced that painful oppression known by the name of punya. Drops of blood stood on the gums and lips, and respiration became hurried and difficult. However strong the will of these brave men might be, the time came at last when their physical powers failed, and vertigo, that terrible malady in the mountains, destroyed not only their bodily strength but their moral energy. Falls became frequent, and those who fell could not rise again, but dragged themselves along on their knees. But just as exhaustion was about to make short work of any further ascent, and Glenarvan's heart began to sink as he thought of the snow lying far as the eye could reach, and of the intense cold, and saw the shadow of night fast overspreading the desolate peaks, and knew they had not a roof to shelter them, suddenly the Major stopped and said, in a calm voice, A hut! End of Book One, Chapter Twelve